Welcome to episode number 46 for the National Land Realty Podcast, where we discuss all things land. Our goal here is to inform, educate, and entertain those of you who own land or are interested in the buying and selling of land throughout the United States. My name is Mac Christian, and I am the Chief Marketing Officer here at National Land Realty, and I will be your host for this episode. I learn something new each and every time I do this podcast, which is what makes it enjoyable for me. The hope is that you, the listener, will also gain some new information and continue to tune in. With today's guest, there's no hoping involved. You will leave this episode with valuable information from one of our country's top economic minds. Scott L. Byer is a professor and chair at Clemson University's Wilbur O. and Ann Powers College of Business. Scott has worked as an advisor for the White House, a scholar to the Atlanta Federal Reserve, a consultant for the Congressional Budget Office, and has received numerous awards for his research, including Best Paper and Best Article Awards from academic journals. His focus is on international trade and economic growth and development. Scott is here today to discuss the outlook of the United States economy, inflation, the debt ceiling, and even some social media. If you have questions about where we might be headed economically as a country, this episode is for you. Now sit back and enjoy. I am sitting here with Scott Byer, and uh, Scott Byer doesn't sound like uh, there's not a whole lot of uh, accreditation to that, but I want to throw down some other some things here. Uh, PhD from Michigan State University in economics, uh, degrees from Bowling Green, multiple degrees from Bowling Green, professor at Clemson University. Uh, so just saying I'm talking to Scott Byer doesn't really give me enough to like really get at home here. Um, Scott, I want you to tell me sort of just how, how you know, what you do now, what your specialization is. If I were to sit here and read through all the classes that you teach, we would be here for at least 20 minutes. Uh, you do plenty. You're professor and chair of economics at Clemson. Um, tell me a little bit, bit about your background and sort of what you specialize in. Yeah, so so the, uh, I've been at Clemson for now 21, 22 years. Uh, prior to coming to Clemson, I was at the University of Notre Dame in the business school there for four years. And before that, I got my Ph.D. at Michigan State. Um, in between during that and in between that, I also did some other things that involved, you know, uh, kind of the performance of the of the economy in general. So for a year during uh, um, 2007, 2008, I was an advisor at the White House for the Council of Economic Advisor. Not great timing on my part because I timed it just as the Great Recession began. Um, I've also was a um, visiting scholar at the Atlanta Fed for 12 years, and I've also done some consulting work for the Congressional Budget Office, the CBO, and for the U.S. ITC. Um, so, again, I've had some government involvement, some involvement with with the private sector as well, doing some consulting. But but mainly I'm just a pointy headed academic. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. There's different ways to go with academics. And I asked you before this started, if I if you wanted to be referred to as doctor and you're like, nah, Scott, you, yeah. you've got a, You've got a humble nature to you, despite your credentials, which I appreciate. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, you can always claim since you started doing advisory um, in 07, 08, you could claim to be one of the people to help get us out of the mess instead of just having like, you know, the the, the timing of, of the whole thing. So uh, I almost always do that. <laughs> yeah, you got you've got to you got to take that credit. Um, yeah, yeah. So we're here today just to, to talk, you know, talk in your wheelhouse and and talk about the things going on in in our current economy with with interest rate, you know, the, the recent rising of interest rates that the economic, you know, outlook that we have for 2023, 2024, we just had the whole debt ceiling standoff that seems to come up every single year. And it seems to do the same thing every year. Um, so I want, I guess the, the easiest place to start is to ask you sort of the, the current interest rate hikes, right. That we've seen um, we've had several and, and they've sort of reached a point where they, they went up and then they kind of staggered back and then they went up again and, and sort of what that is doing to the economy and what the risks are of that and what the benefits are of that. Right. So, yeah, that's a, that's a, a great place to start. And, and, and this follows, you know, the most, most recent announcement by the fed 
um, just the other day in which they said they were going to hit a pause on on a higher target of the federal funds rate again. And that's quite notable coming off of, of all these consistent raises over the past few months or the past you know 16 months so really that that was a signal to the to uh, um i think the, the the financial sector as well as everybody else in the economy that inflation in some sense is coming down um and it's getting a little bit more under control but there's also oftentimes very subtle things and important things that the fed states um in 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 reading about why they decided to make that change and so i'm, I'm going to highlight a couple of those because i think they're important one one of the things that they said was this was a it seems to be a temporary pause that i think in the next next few times they meet we might see um, quarter point increases in the interest rate. Um, I think they were pretty clear about that. And why is that? When they kind of survey the economic data, what they see are a couple of things. One is they see a relatively hot labor market. In fact, they've adjusted down where they think the unemployment rate's going to go. They've also had a little bit of an uptick in where they think GDP growth is going, even though they think the economy is slowing. It's now they now think it's slowing at a little bit lower rate than before. And while inflation is coming down, they still believe in certain areas, in particular in the service sector and core inflation, it's still elevated at, above where they want to be. That is, core inflation now is running at 5.3%, and they want to get that back down to 2%. So the totality of all of that right now tells us that, yeah, the economy is doing quite well. Inflation seems to be coming down, but with a hot labor market and a little bit more output growth, inflation may tick back up. And so they may have to raise inflation rates in the, in the coming meeting. So that was the big takeaway from the most recent um, uh, you know, announcement by Chairman Powell. I like how you stated that it's slowing at a slower rate. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, fun, it's a fun way to put it. Uh, what are your thoughts on some of the rumblings that that were were encroaching into deflationary risk in in what in this the current fiscal actions that are being taken is is that is that really as big of a risk as some people are making it out to be? No, I don't see that at all. I, I when when you look at what's happening with. Uh, again, with with core inflation, that is thinking of the service sector side, those prices remain elevated and haven't been falling at all. Um, where we've seen some of this deflation is, or, or you know falling prices has have been in the energy sector, and we know that sector is quite volatile. Prices are likely to fall, you know, rise back up and fall back down. But really, the where we're what we're seeing now in in core services, and especially again, this is one one of the areas that that gets netted out when you look at core. But the last reading on on food prices again seemed to be that you know food prices going up, and for any of us who've gone to the grocery store recently it's hard to get out of the grocery store without spending a, a quite a bit more than what we're used to so i i don't see i don't i can't imagine um prices actually falling but i do imagine that we'll see inflation at a slower rate do you see do you see some international exposure here as influencing any of this so i mean like we we look at a lot like the the crisis in ukraine with with supply chain is is that causing an impact to general food price hikes? And because from the land perspective, what we are seeing is the Midwest land holding prices. You know, any any land that produces food is is at some of the highest levels we've ever seen. I mean, it not even some, almost all of it is breaking records month after month. So yeah, so that, that that's another. So what we're seeing internationally on the manufacturing side, we'll start with that. Is is some relief from that from some of the supply chain issues that were occurring before and again that that's causing uh, contributing to the to the slower inflation rate that that we're seeing but also is, is the ukrainian war is is leading to odd things happening in commodity markets where we're seeing prices much higher in in grains um and and they they just i believe and, and you may know this this a little bit better um they just had a continued the agreement with ukraine to allow them to export 
um, grains like the, um, so that that wouldn't be interrupted. So I think that'll put a little bit more downward pressure overall on on grain prices. Right. And, and I, I'm not going to speak um, as an economics you know expert on on the issue. I do. I've read the kind of this the this the the outlines of it, and so I'm just going to hold it there. I'm not going to expose myself to any opinion on the on the matter as far as what that's going to do internationally. Um, so with, with what we're looking at, where there's the possibility of future interest rate increases and, and inflation holding at, you know, that five plus percent and, you know, historically, you know, what do they say between, you know, it's like 3.9 and two or something like that, that, that they kind of try to keep inflation down into besides interest rate hiking, what other actions could we possibly expect from the federal government that could that could play into the larger economy to reduce that inflation? Well, again, I, what I think it's mostly going to fall on the way to the Fed with the with the higher interest rates. Okay. Um, we, we also may see again, and this is what we really don't know yet. Um, where we might also see some slowing down in the economy, and this will have some deflationary pressures is if you remember back in March, we had, um, you know, a few bank failures that, that occurred. And so there was some uncertainty about this, um, some stability of the regional banks. I think most of that has been alleviated that we think they're in um, pretty good shape now. But but what we look when we look at what's going on in the banking sector in response to that, we've had some credit tightening. And again, that credit tightening means there's going to be fewer loans for residential, fewer loans for land, fewer loans for, say, consumers buying cars and other, you know, large durable goods. So that will have some deflationary pressure, you know, have some uh, slow down the rate of inflation as well that, you know, that credit tightening. Yeah, that's where industries like ours that rely on loans are are definitely feeling the the hurt when it comes to those interest rate hikes, because it directly impacts those industries much heavier than, say, uh, you know, like you said, food or manufacturing and things like that, like like just regular, just everyday items. But when it comes to those loan values, people are sitting on the sideline and it's stalling the markets. Is there is there some relief to that 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 could be supplied, or do you think it's more just like sit down and just get ready for the roller coaster? I, well, I, I wouldn't say it will quite be. It won't be. It, it won't quite be a roller coaster. But I think it's really interesting to to look at some of these. Uh, Intersensitive markets. So the, the one I, I I look at quite a bit is is look at um, employment and residential construction because again that's very sensitive to mortgage rates and we see mortgage rates you know as high as we they've been in in fifteen years and surprisingly um, employment in that sector has held up pretty well. Now it could be because we had such a burst in. Um, in production and construction coming out of the pandemic that we're completing all of those projects. But but I think the one thing that I've, I've been a little bit surprised about is how well employment has held up in these interest rate sensitive sectors, even though some of the production levels have declined a little bit. Do you consider, do you consider the employment in construction, it, would you consider that a leading indicator of, of things to come or is it just, just kind of at, at the time? Yeah, I, I think I bundle that in with, as part of a leading indicator, I bundle that in with um, the Institute of Supply Management's PMI index. And again, that's, that's a, a monthly reading. And when that's above um, 50%, that means managers are, you know, think the economy is doing well, at least 50% of them do think so, crudely speaking. When that's above 50%, it, it's the economy's expanding. When it's below 50%, um, that's kind of a recession indicator. And that, uh, that index has been below um, 50% now for, for, for about, uh, for, for a few months now. So, and that's usually a leading indicator of what's going to happen. I think is, is, and again, I'm usually taking the 50,000 foot view of what's going on in the economy. But as I, th if you talk to a lot of people in the manufacturing industry, manufacturing sector, they'll tell you now that we might be in a, in a manufacturing recession. If nothing else, it's softening a little bit. 
So the, the the word that I keep on hearing and the, the word that we've been using a lot, it just talking about the outlook for 2023 leading, leading into 2024 is plateau. And, and it's, you know, things we have been moving at a hot pace in the real estate market and, and other, you know, other areas. And right when we started going into the inflationary period and they started hiking interest rates and it sort of created a plateau situation to subtle deflation in certain markets. Yeah. Is that sort of overall your opinion of, of where things are going to lie for a little bit? Yeah, that's I, I see that right now. It's, again, when you're thinking of manufacturing and goods sector, when you look, I was looking at how much um, consumers were spending on on goods. Um, and again, coming out of the pandemic, remember people switched from consuming movies and dinners out, you know, outside of the home because they couldn't, to buying new computers and buying new equipment to cook food at home. You had goods consumption surged up quite a bit. Um, it remained elevated for a good year or so after that. And now, again, what we're seeing is that that is plateauing off and declining a, a little bit. And what we're also now seeing is we're seeing consumers now are switching back as the economy really begins to open back up. They're now consuming more services, again, going out to restaurants, going back out to movies. And so that's where the area in which we're seeing some rise um, or increase in 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 spending not not this plateauing but 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 you do see plateauing again in goods consumption you're seeing it a little bit in residential investment um those are the areas where you're seeing the plateauing that you're talking about how much would you tie that to like supply chain efficiency where you know we go into the pandemic and it was a whole different style of economy it was home orders and people aren't going to restaurants and so the the typical supply chains that people had where were underprepared. And so then you had these supply chain disasters and then you had different markets kind of shut themselves down because they weren't transporting as far and as much. And then the economy changes back and goes back to where it was before. And again, the supply chain is out of whack again to where you have price increases because of that and you have delays. Do you see that playing into this? And and as people get more efficient that we could see some relaxing of of prices or, or is that kind of overblown? Well, I know I think that's an important thing, and we haven't seen it quite completely play out yet. So there, there's a couple things we um, that we should unpack in 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 what you said because there are several things going on there. One kind of the underlying thing I think that a lot of firms are 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 doing now is not only because of the pandemic, but for some of the other geopolitical reasons. Um, that began in the, in the in President Trump's administration are, are also now in, in President Biden's administration. Um, these things have led a lot of firms to move from this just-in-time management to a just-in-case management, where they want a more diversified supply chains. If something gets interrupted here or tariffs go up there, where we have another outlet. So we don't know what that's going to look like when we get, you know, as that completely goes through. Um, but that is still an evolving process and, and firms don't want to be left in that same position where they only had one supplier. So, again, that's that's something that's got to play out. Another important thing of what you said was there really was a combination and people always say about supply chain issues. And I like to refer to it as supply and demand chain issues, because some of the issues that came up again, the one I often use is. Um, computer chips and how that impacted the auto sector. Well, some of that was on the supply side, but a, a, another part of that was also on the demand side. And what do I mean by that? Well, like I said before, during the pandemic, I started to buy, and maybe you did as well, and other people bought bought a computer so you could work at home or bought new stereo equipment. All of these electronics that we bought to make life more comfortable at home also use computer chips. And that made computer chips more scarce for the auto industry. So it wasn't all just supply issues. It was supply and demand. Um, Both of those things combining to lead to those issues. Now, as consumers are rebalancing their consumption, shifting back into consuming more of these services, as I mentioned before, some of those demand side pressures are also coming down and alleviating themselves. So I think we're starting to see things play out and we're getting returning back to normal, but I'm not exactly sure what that new normal, and I hate to use that term, new normal is going to look like. (laughs) I do it too. (laughs) As 
Yeah, it's just, how, how many bad catchphrases will I use in this podcast? I'll try to use them all. Oh, no, uh, I, whatever, whichever ones that you don't use, I'll make up for all <laughs> my own. So we're, we're, we'll be fine there. Um, you spoke to, you know, however you want to phrase it, lean manufacturing or on-demand manufacturing. Do, do you think that, you know, we got into this state pre-pandemic where, a lot, I would say majority of manufacturers are moving towards that, that lean style because you don't have to carry the inventory. You, you reduce that cost and then, but you're running it at the, at the wire, right? And it's because everything right. got really efficient, but then you have something that in, introduces inefficiency and nobody was prepared. Do you think moving forward, the companies have learned their lesson or do you think that we're going to go kind of, you know, they, they've got their reserve parachutes now. They kind of figured out like, okay, we can't have all our eggs in one basket. And if because with lean manufacturing, you introduce one complication and the whole thing shuts down. So do you, do you think we're we're getting smarter and learning or do you think it'll kind of go back to where it was? Oh, yeah, I, I think they're becoming more prepared. Um, I, I really do. I mean, it just this. Um, I think the pandemic caught everybody by surprise. You would never, no one ever would expect something like that in in our, in, you know, in our lifetimes. But, but, I, but I do think, and again, I think some of the geopolitical tensions have have made uh, managers again uh, take on a little bit, you know, uh, want, want to insure themselves against disruption. So, I'm not certain of all the lessons they've learned, but but I live close to I-85, uh, you know, kind of a ma major interstate, and you drive up and down, and what you, uh, I-85 between Atlanta and Charlotte, and probably continue on, and you could see all the new warehousing that's being built, and a lot of that is again just to just to have some buffer, both of finished goods and intermediate goods um, in case something gets disrupted. So I think you're seeing um, again more forward-looking actions being taken by business managers in case we have some of these large disruptions that you know for the most of our lives we we've never experienced before right um so so moving on into 2023 2024 you know we, we've talked about you know like the interest rate effects on on you know our, our economy but how do you see the economy holding up how do you see our gdp holding up um just as as from an overhead view yeah, so the, yeah, there's, I'll, I'll break it down into into I think the, the you know the major players that kind of drive you know the spending side. We'll, we'll start with consumers because consumers are basically two thirds of overall spending in the economy, and they really have been the driving factor coming out of the pandemic. Whether it's you know that big surge in purchasing goods and now rebalancing the services, um, I think households are still doing quite well. One area that I would be a little bit concerned about is that during the pandemic, as we had uh, as our incomes went up and as we as we received, you know, different forms of stimulus package, households accumulated in the economy roughly um, two trillion dollars worth of savings. Um, and what we've seen in the last year is consumers have gone through a fair amount of those that excess savings. So what happens when all all of those savings are gone? Are are consumers going to come back to the uh, continue to spend like they were before, or are they going to pull back a little bit on consumption? And you hear consumers talking a little bit about this now as they as they say, well, I'm cutting back on some of my purchases because of inflation. So it, once we get through or once consumers kind of spend through all that excess savings, it'll be interesting to see if they continue to purchase goods like they have before. When you think about, you know, the purchase of plants, machines and equipment, which economists refer to as, you know, as, as physical investment, that's the area, I think, where there seems to be a fair amount of concern. That's the area that's been relatively lukewarm. Again, um, thinking from a management perspective, if I if I don't foresee really high GDP growth, well, I'm not going to invest in new plants, machines and equipment. And I think what you see are both on the non-residential side, um, firms aren't adding um you know, building new, you know, constructing new buildings, adding a lot. So it, um, physical investment has been relatively weak, as has um, residential investment. And then the next big player is, is you know, kind of the foreign sector. What is the demand for our goods? 
And again, there's some reason to be concerned there is, you know, there's been some dollar appreciation um, that makes our, our goods more expensive. Um, again, that, and that's slowing down. If, if Again, if there's some other type of disruption internationally or, or world GDP growth slows, that, that will reduce our exports. So while there, there are some, while there, there are a fair amount of headwinds that I think the economy is facing right now. So I think that's why most people believe that for the rest of 2023, uh, GDP growth will hover between one and 1.5%, again, lower than what it's been the last 20 years, certainly much lower than the historical average of 3%. So with, with that, when you're talking about the purchase of physical goods um, or physical investment, uh, how much how much does the interest rates play into that? Like meaning, you know, companies that, that don't want to over leverage themselves or like which plays a heavier role, like this sort of their, their outlook on GDP or their, their caution on getting over leveraged in something like that. I think they play, that plays weekly, weekly, evenly into their forecasts yeah. is, is they, they, they want to understand where, where their business is going. But again, a, a lot of the, a lot of, you know, the construction is going to be interest rate sensitive. So again, th- th- those higher interest rates are, are slowing down biz- business investment as well. I sort of liken it to like spooky gazelles out in the plains. Like, you know, it's, <laughs> everything kind of holds still and waits for something to move. And as soon as something moves, everybody jumps. Yeah. It moves pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good analogy. So, uh, so recently we went through the, you know, the debt ceiling debate that it's, it, it feels like an annual thing now where everyone just gets together and argues and fights and they make political statements and they do a standoff. And then eventually they, they do the negotiating where like, nobody leaves the table happy, which means it was probably a pretty good negotiation, but like what, what's sort of your outlook on what came out of this? And, and, you know, did we, did we absorb too much debt? Yeah. So, so, so one of the things I think is, I think almost everybody knew that this was going to be, you know, an 11th hour um, decision and not, not exactly knowing exactly how it will play out, but, but we weren't going to, it was going to be very costly to the economy. Um, if, if we went into some type of default or didn't make payments to, you know, certain groups. So, uh, I think most people, and and I would look when you look at the markets, kind of factored um, where thing where we would end up, and they were right about that. The bigger concern I have going forward is, you know, about this is that um, it it kind of makes us look silly on the not not to use the fanciest words. It makes us look silly on the international stage, and and again, thinking about geopolitical risk as as China grows in terms of of, of economic power and diversifies itself and 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 maybe other countries may like the the e, other areas like the eu you know do you really want to hold dollar denominated assets if we're going to go through these these type of kind of fake you know artificial crisis is a better way to put it every year or so and worry about that. And so then you worry about maybe, um, you know, the dollar being less of the reserve currency around the world and, and being um, replaced by other things. And so, so that's one of, one of the areas that, that I, that I worry about the debt, the, uh, the debt crisis or the debt ceiling. Another area that I think is, is broader and I, is that you, you the 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 path that we were on in terms of debt and deficits is clearly not stable. Um, that that at some point we're going to have to do something again to put us on on a more stable path. And when you look at where we are currently in terms of the unemployment rate and and the level of a deficit. You, you don't necessarily need to be running a balanced budget, but kind of an the idea here is that when the economy is doing really you know, quite well, you probably should be close to a surplus if not running a surplus. And when the economy is not doing very well, that's when you imagine that you could run some deficits. And if you look at where we're at right now in terms of the unemployment rate or the employment level and where the deficit is, it's way too high from where it should be. So again, that gives me an indication 
that um, going forward, unless we um, correct things, um, you know, the, the, the deficit and the debt are just really on a, uh, you know, unstable path. And when when that will bite and cause real economic um, pain or, or, or affect the, I should say economic pain, but, but when it impacts the real economy, it's, it's hard to know exactly when, but, but unless we do something, there will be, um, there will be real economic consequences to the size of the debt. Yeah. And you spoke to, you spoke to borrowing, right. And, and where we look at the, the, the whole, debt ceiling fiasco it's it, we've kind of moved into i i like to joke that it's like it's like sports team betting it like our political environment now it's like well you're on that team and i don't like that team because you have you're in a different state it's you know it's like clemson versus auburn right like something like it, you know you just don't like the other team because they're the other team and you don't really even know why anymore i mean you know there's there's certain hot button issues but we've kind of moved into that on the political spectrum where it started impacting things like our fiscal decisions and and you spoke to China, and I, I, I'm going to bring this home here in a second. So yeah. you have you have countries like China who they sort of have an economic model based on giving people a lot of loans. And the downside with that is you start to see them come to call on a few of these loans in different countries, and and it's it's a it's a downright economic model with what some of what China is doing. The U.S. has also had this model, but you spoke to it where we're coming across is not very stable. We're not getting along. We kind of have a, a crazy town show going on. Right. Is is that going to start taking money off the table in terms of what we are able to, to loan or get back in interest on our loans and China swooping in and saying, hey, those guys are crazy. We haven't had these arguments. Go with us. Is that is that kind of what we're looking at? Well, I mean, so I don't know. I don't know if that's happening or when it will happen. But, you know, historically, um, the U.S. has always been the flight to safety, that when, whenever there's turbulence in the world economy, that people switch to wanting to hold U.S. securities, U.S. bonds, because we are a large, stable um, economy. I think, I think the more we, we have, again, the more we move into our different political spaces and seem to argue about everything and anything, um, I think that can impact uh, the perception of the U.S. economy being this this stable economy, especially as we switch powers to the presidency from one party to another. Um, it, it just seems to, to lead to believe uh, from an outside perspective that we're less less stable than we once were. And there's 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 going to be some economic cost to that. How big it is, it's it's hard to determine. Yeah, I was going to say, if, if I'm China at this point, I see a lot of opportunity instability just just from that perspective. What, what do you think the outlook for sort of U.S. Treasuries are moving forward? Because they, they haven't been as strong lately. And, yeah. and so, you know, what what do you think we're looking at in terms of, you know, and this would be in the, in the case of foreign investment or just the strength of treasuries? Yeah. So, I you know, I looked at the 10 year this morning and the 10 year was moving, you know, was moving up. So, again, I think that's what we're going to continue to see. And again, I think that's just the overall pressure from. Uh, some of the inflationary pressure and interest rate pressure is going to move those longer term securities up a little up, up higher. Excellent. And then you spoke to just debt in general, where, you know, spending is sort of it's it's not going to be sustainable for long. Right. And so provided we get, you know, an administration in there sort of with the I, I don't want to like down any I don't I don't play politics. But if we get somebody with sort of like the 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 fortitude to put themselves out there and start making the the cuts where necessary. Where do you think the the lowest hanging fruit in that could be? And I realize how perspective that is. Like that's really yes, no, no. So that's this is where this is where the tough questions come because really most you know most of the most of the growth in the deficit and the debt um, are going to come from. You know, the entitlement programs we have, whether it's Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. Um, and, and so when people think about the deficit, they have a tendency to blame, well, it was, you know, George Bush's war or Obama's stimulus package or these COVID stimulus package. And those things contributed to the deficit in the debt, but they're not the 
underlying driving force of um, why the deficit and the debt are rising. It's the growth and the expansion of these uh, of these entitlement programs. And this is what makes it difficult for a politician, because if you're going to have meaningful cuts or meaningful improvements, it's got to be in those areas. Um, and, and the first one that does, it's like they're taking away your Medicaid and you're, and you're just, probably not getting reelected. Right. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. And it's, it's going to say. And so so, I mean, you can you can keep the programs like they are, but then you have to raise taxes on everybody. Right. You have to raise the FICA taxes or income taxes to pay those things off or some combination of both. And as you mentioned, that's a tough election strategy to say, I'm going to cut your benefits and raise your taxes. Vote for me. Um, and that's why I don't think that we've seen any meaningful um, movement in in the in the deficit and the debt because it it involves making hard long hard long run choices and the objective of a lot of politicians is to get reelected today and so again it's it's at some point you know I I think both parties not whoever's in power but both parties are going to have to make those 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 more difficult long term choices and it'll evolve. It will involve raising taxes and probably raising taxes and cutting benefits. And you and again, the notion of raising taxes just on the high income earners, you're not going to raise enough revenue to pay it off. It's going to be everybody is going to have to have their taxes increased and everybody probably will have to have some benefits cut. But those are the choices that we have to make. I was going to say that the the a, lo- a lot of those taxation sort of talking points that go out there is sort of like putting a bandaid on a broken leg. Like it's it it, it sounds great in theory. And I, I was going to you made a really good point on on the decision making and running for reelection. It's it's almost like it's not so much an economics problem as a term limit problem because then you introduce one and they can make gutsier decisions knowing that they're on the way out and they can actually make yeah yeah. yeah. Potentially. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. But I mean, it's that'll all play out eventually. Um, as far as, you know, the the stability of what we're looking at, you know, you've spoken to a plateau and and sort of, you know, where we're playing as far as how how the how our politicians are coming together in in debt conversations. Do you think that we risk instability in in the coming months or is it is it you know a lot of noise over nothing i think it's generally i think it's probably more more noise over nothing um you know and and, some people complain about gridlock and in many ways i like gridlock because that means not much gets done and that provides more stability and it's easier to make decisions when 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 things are more stable um, so yeah, I would not expect a lot of instability going forward, but again, I think, you know, where we stand in the economy is just going to be in some sense, a little bit of slowing down going forward, a little bit slower growth. Um, I don't see anything happening that will, that will, um, you know, cause, cause a radical, sh- you know, shift in, in the forecast, but, but heck, I, I didn't foresee the pandemic coming either. So, nor did I foresee the Great Recession. So, yeah, those I, things are hard to forecast. That would have made a made a millionaire out of the economist that had an economic model for a for <laughs> you know a pandemic. Um, so, and I, I, to to paraphrase kind of what you were just saying. So, so what you're getting at is that our our legislature is working as intended where nobody gets their way a hundred percent of the time and nobody gets to run away with the house and just come up with new policies because you have an offset and a check and a balance. That, that's what I think is one of the real features of, uh, of the U S economy that and somewhat of the decentralization of states can, can uh, more, you know, make laws that are best suited for their citizens. But those checks and balances, I think, are real important and they don't lead to sudden changes, you know, in in uh, that, that can impact the economy or individual freedom or anything like that. Yeah, that, that's one of the most important things. Do you see any risk with an upcoming presidential election that it could un- unbalance things a little bit? There's usually kind of a lull when there's a new election. Everybody talks about it, but then it usually kind of writes itself fairly quickly. Do you see any any enhanced risk right now or anything like that? 
I'm not going to comment on that one. <laughs> um, I, man, I got to put you on the spot on so Yeah, no, no. Well, I, you know, I, I so that, that is, you know, what are the risks? I think not, you know, not only are politicians divided, but I think the country is actually more divided than, than, than I've ever seen it. And so, um, I don't. I used to look forward to elections because I, I, it was kind of fun to to watch. Um, I, I'm not looking forward to this one just because, in some sense, how mean spirited everybody becomes. To you know, everybody wears their own colors, their own jersey, and and uh, as you mentioned, it's like Clemson Auburn or Clemson South Carolina is is you is, is they become real opponents. Um, I'm uncomfortable with that. I'm uncomfortable yeah. with that. The, the competitiveness of it is it's getting it it's almost i have you know not to deviate off of economic conversations yeah. or anything like that but it's yeah, yeah but they're intertwined they're certainly it intertwined. It, it, plays it, into it. it matters it, it really matters it does um so you sound cautiously optimistic is that accurate uh, yeah, I am. I mean, I think, you know, it, I, I, six months ago, I had a concern that, the, you know, the that the Fed acted uh, took too long to act. And when they act, when they reacted to the, the, the situation, they overreacted. And 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 I thought they were, were going to send the economy into a recession for sure. But it certainly looks like we're heading more toward a soft landing. So, again, soft landing means. Um, a little bit slower economic growth, a little bit slower growth in employment. But heck, when you look at the employment numbers, you know, we added 339,000 jobs um, in May, probably a little bit over 4 million jobs over the last 12 months. That That's pretty good for, for a soft landing. Yeah, it was, is it 4, 4.3% as of the most recent reports or what's, what's the unemployment rate? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. When it ticked up a little bit to 3.7% from 3.3. Okay. Yeah. But, but again, that's, that's all on the ballpark of again, fairly historically low numbers for the, for the unemployment rate. And again, when you think about it, that's about where we were pre pandemic in terms of the unemployment rate. So, yeah. So, so on, on the employment side, the economy is, you know, doing quite well. So, so with that, you know, you're, you're talking soft landing. I, I wanted to, I meant to ask this before and, and cause you were talking about interest rate hikes. So, so first question is when we're talking about the federal government, right. And, and their ability to combat inflation, their ability to moderate the economy. And, and this is more for, for any listeners out there that sort of had these conversations just to, to be able to supply information. They're sort of, are they a one trick pony? It's just inflation rate or an interest rate. Sorry, inflation rate. It just interest rate is that the the that's the main tool that they have. They use that, you know, that and it's it's sort of what they use. Is that is that the only tool that they have really to moderate anything to do with the economy? When you have a hammer, you use the hammer. Um, so so there there are other things that they can do. They have a little bit more flexibility in terms of the different interest rates that they can than they use. But the Fed, the Federal Reserve mostly manages the economy through through um, targeting interest rates, trying to bring inflation down, being aware of how that impacts employment. That that's the main lever they have. They have some other aspects on in terms of bank credit, bank, you know, that they can work on tightening of credit conditions, but it is mostly through through the interest, you know, through interest rates. So when we we talked about some some polarization, you know, some a lot of polarization in politics, in society in general. And, and it, a lot of that plays from social media, just the immediacy of news and information. It's just an influx of information all the time. And and with that, there's certain there's certain talking heads. And I'm, I'm like Elon Musk right now is talking about how there's definitely deflation coming and it's it's looming. Is is that more? Do you think a special interest sort of conversation, like it's maybe impacting him and his businesses? So he's saying at the inflation, the interest rates, or do you think that there's a real risk of widespread deflation that could, could be on the way? I just think that's I think that's a lot of what we see is, again, the social media over overreacting. To, to, to certain to certain events, we're seeing inflation slow down. We're no not close to really um, deflationary 
um, areas, but I also read it almost as much on social media is is people talking about hyperinflation. And we've never been, you know, hyperinflation defined is like 50 percent inflation, uh, you know, o- over a period of a month. You know, Ooh. we were never close to that. So. <laughs> So I think, you know, social media has a tendency to overreact to certain things, have a little bit of a hyperbole, but... I was just going to use that exact word. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I just don't see any of these, you know, extreme, extreme position, you know, ex- extreme outcomes occurring. Yeah, because I did want to ask you if you thought the Fed might have outkicked their coverage there when they did, because like you said, they sort of delayed their interest rate hikes, and then then they just lopped them on month over month over month. And I was going to ask you if you thought they overplayed it a little bit, but it sounds like you think they sort of they hit it on the button. Is is sort of what you think? No, I think I think you know they they are they are cautiously optimistic that they uh, have hit things correctly. Um, but they know is, you know, in, in economic circles and in financial cir- circles, it, it, we often say that, you know, the effects of uh, interest rate hikes impact the economy with long and variable lags, right? If you raise interest rates, it's not going to have an effect overnight, but it's going to slow business decisions down over time. And so taking this pause now gives us, gives us, gives them the chance to kind of sit back and observe what happens over the next month to see what happens in terms of physical investment, residential investment, how consumers respond, what happens with employment and inflation. And then they can make a, you know, informed decision, you know, at that point after you get another month or two data in. So I, I think it was the right thing to do knowing that the full effect of higher interest rates probably is, is not, um, He's not impacted the economy. So let's wait and see what happens next. So uh, it's good. I want to, I want to respect your time and tie you up with one last question here. Uh, So in in this, I want to bring this back home to sort of the industry that that we play in, which is, you know, real estate and, and sort of on a wider picture, because the conversation is interest rates. What do you see sort of happening in loan centric markets where, so like we, you know, we spoke to, physical assets where, where a lot of companies will leverage themselves into new buildings, new machinery. And and I think that that plays into the conversation of real estate as well, because it's a loan centric industry, it functions on debt. So where, where, you know, it's definitely cooled. Like I would say in some places stagnated and some places it's still hot. We have a great, you know, you know, food producing land is still moving like crazy. Um, High value land is still moving like crazy. Um, but what do you see sort of, do you, do you think people continue to sit on the sideline or do you think that as they settle, like I spoke to like, you know, scared gazelles in the field that they still, yeah, they yeah. slowly start browsing again, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So no, I think that, you know, it, 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 it's what I observe again, and, and, and you and your listeners probably have a better sense than I do, right? The real estate market is really a bunch of regional markets. So, um, like where I live down here in South Carolina, it's still a relatively hot market that, you know, just looking at residential real estate or, um, in our neighborhood, a house won't be on the market for more than two or three days without getting moved. And usually the bid comes in above, above ask. Um, we're seeing lots of property being, you know, uh, property being bought up. Um, and develop both for business and for residential area. But, th- but I think that's that's a case of where we are. Um, and in other areas, you know, things have slowed down. So, you know, in the, in the real estate market, there, there, there are large, you know, important regional factors that 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 are the kind of the main concern. The interest rate is a, is an overarching um, effect that higher interest rates will 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 slow down any market a little bit. So uh, a market that was overheated will just be a little bit less overheated. A market that was relatively cool will probably be, you know even more cool after that. But again, I think there are these regional factors of where people want to live, where businesses want to locate, where we want to have different developments are the main driving force. Higher interest rates, you know, or lower interest rates um, can cool that down or throw gas on that fire. That's a great, great point that you just made there that that 
you can talk interest rates and you can talk real estate, but you can't do that on a national level because every single, and it's and not even just region, like you can go, you know, just yeah, a couple yeah. miles away for one area. Could, so that is very, very astute answer there. I, I appreciate that. Um, it, any sort of last notes that you want to leave anybody, leave people with here, uh, you know, as we close out. No, I, I think just just a little bit note of optimism. Um, you know, we've been through, you know, a lot over the last three years. I think this is one of the few talks where I probably said COVID less than 10 times. So it's, <laughs> it's um, that that's great. So I, I think what we've seen is in some senses how resilient um, consumers have been, how resilient um uh, firms have been how quickly managers have have tried to adjust. It's not all played out. We don't know what's what we're, it's exactly going to look like. I think when when we we kind of reach this new equilibrium, um, but but we should be optimistic and and also looking forward, we should be um, carry some optimism about the resiliency of the U.S. economy and the world economy to, you know, certain large events um, induced by the pandemic and, and, you know, and then going through the different policies, how different areas tried to work through those. I, I, I think most areas were looking out in the best interest of the individuals in their area. And, and I think, you know, we came out um, uh, so far, I think, pretty good on that in terms of the state of the economy. Excellent. Well, Scott, I, I really, really appreciate your time. Um, it, it, Thank it, you for having me. I enjoy it. All right, man. I, I look forward to talking again and I appreciate it. You came out to summit and talked to our company and that was great too. So hopefully you can do something like that again. Happy to do it. Much appreciated. Yeah. This concludes episode number 46 for the National Land Realty Podcast, discussing America's economic horizon with Clemson professor and chair Scott L. Byer. You can learn more about land ownership and the buying and selling of land at nationalland.com.